1: we hear from John and Wei Ting, where we're
0: going, we don't need roads, and if the buck stops here, yeah, this thing might blow. Everything you hear opinions of the show, and if you don't
1: like it, go to the Forbes, let them know. Let them know. It is Wednesday, November the 29th. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting, coming off of Dynamite, an overrun edition of Dynamite. That's right, yeah. Seems to be the standard these days. There's, There were too many weeks when by the end of it came, I said, you know what? I could go for a few more minutes here and there. I don't get enough each week. Let's cram in. Can't keep a two-hour and eight-minute show into two hours. Need those eight minutes to fully breathe. I mean, as long as it works, why would they stop? Um, well, it didn't work last week. The audience went down for the overrun. So, I mean, the the whole theory is that you go over the hour. It's it's one of these, like, tricks that they would always do where everyone's tuning in for the next show. So it's not like you've got this captive audience. It's like, oh, my God, my luck. I wanted to watch Seinfeld, but I'm getting Jay White and Swerve Strickland for six minutes. I think I'm going to be a fan for, from now on.
0: So, why do they keep doing it then?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think they maybe, maybe this trick will work. We'll see. It didn't work last week. We'll see if it, uh, uh, people are more conditioned this week, uh, but we will see. I have a, I have a home ownership question for you, Wei. Okay. Have you ever had a raccoon to deal with on your property? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you get rid of these things?
0: Uh, I, so where are they? Where, where is the
1: raccoon or where are the raccoons? I woke up this morning to a raccoon in my backyard. Okay, fine. Enjoy your stay, but you're loitering. Now he has been there since I woke up this morning and he's just roaming there. I don't think he can physically hop the fence. I think he's stuck in my backyard. I've assigned a gender to him and he's just wandering. Like he's just on my, my, my deck in the back climbs onto my bike and it's just, Like going in circles all day long. Comes up to the window. Like, how do I get rid of this thing? Like, I'm not lifting
0: it. And like, there's no tree for it to climb. No, you know, they can. There's a
1: tree. There's a. You've seen my fence. Like, it's not like you know. You need to be uh, like Jack and the Beanstalk here. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't look like an athletic raccoon and. My God, do you, have,
0: do you have food around? Like, do you have garbage? No, there's no nearby? food out there.
1: There's no food, and this raccoon looks like he's been well fed over the years. Okay, and I think that's right. the problem here. I think it's his gut that's not going to get him over the fence.
0: Right. I mean, it's the winter. Like, I think they are they look for places that are, I guess, you know, um, relatively warm. Um. Uh, maybe you just kind of at this point hope that it'll go away. But like, if it starts, you know, doing certain things, I mean, I've heard of um, like remedies, like. Some sort of, like, um spice um, mixture spice. you could create. Or I believe, like, fox piss, if you really want. John, you know?
1: You know what? Just ran out of fox piss. <laughs> you can actually buy it. My, my pet it. fox is actually in the shop right now. So I don't have any urine from a fox to um, obtain. But if anyone has a fox out there, I would love to know. Um, yeah, so that that's what I'm dealing with. I raccoons are a very weird animal like it's in Why? between i wouldn't classify raccoons as like this wonderful part of wildlife that's out there you know like um the rodents that's pretty much it's what a- they are like no one no one no child aspires to have a pet raccoon okay i don't want to hear from of course them. So. it's it's a useless animal i hate to be so blunt but that's what it is it doesn't contribute a whole lot it's not it's not a great part. It's no city is going to say, "Hey, you really got to see our raccoon life." It's they're wonderful creatures out there. They're just nuisances. They're they're very off putting. They look awful, they- and they just cause problems. No one's ever happy to see a raccoon. It's just oh, a raccoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not a skunk. Like they're not going to uh, inflict uh, damage upon my my clothing and spray me. They're just annoyance. they are gonna damage your property. Nuisance they well, very it, much do problems. when i was a kid dude we had raccoons that would eat up our lawn to the point that my dad wanted to um eliminate these these raccoons and the city informed him no sir you are not allowed to do that on on your property
0: but is that the only measure of of i guess a a worthy animal you know are, do we like them maybe we're oh. a nuisance to them you know what though but I promise you, I
1: contributed more to the world today than this raccoon did in my backyard all day. That's all I'm going to say. So, um, I would put myself above the raccoons out there. I'm sorry to the raccoon lovers out there. Um, if you if you want to email me, don't. But um, that that's my thought. I'm just a little. Annoyed. I I don't want to do th- with this thing. I just like you've had a nice time. I've given yeah. you my backyard all day. Time them all. If you truly believe they're trapped, you should probably call the city. Yeah, that's yeah another nuisance. I've got to call a guy to come to get rid of this guy. You'd rather do it yourself. I kind okay. of so t- tomorrow I'm going to negotiate with this thing. So if I uh, if I show up on Friday night and I've got claw marks all, all over me, guess what? The raccoon won. Okay, the the raccoon downloaded this show and listened to the first five minutes
0: mm-hmm. as his own. We'll keep us updated.
1: <laughs> this is the exciting day by day of a uh, of John Pollock's life from uh, basements and raccoons and all things in between. But welcome to the show. We have. Um, a fair amount to discuss coming out of tonight's show. Where next week? Way, are we making the big trip to the Bell Center to see two masked men take on Samoa Joe and MJF? Is this mm. is gripping at your heartstrings to go see this live in person?
0: I mean, I think it's an impressive main event for a, t- a TV show. So, um, if I was in the, town, the tag I match, think... no, um, Edge and Christian. Okay. I was I was talking about the masked devil
1: uh oh, that assailants one. that are going to be in action next week. Maybe the real not main that. event.
0: Not that one so much. No. Not not that one so much. Um No Montreal's uh,
1: getting a big main event that you would assume is the main event with uh, Copeland and Adam and Christian Cage.
0: Yeah. Two brothers. I won't be. That's right. Well, not anymore. I don't think it's story. Yeah. Uh, well, now they are actually. And uh, maybe that's what they always meant when they said that they were brothers, you know. They 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 had a similar father figure, I suppose. Turns but out. I I won't be. Yeah. Way's actually so disgusted by this uh this devil
1: angle that he's actually going on strike next week. He's not he's not even gonna watch Dynamite, I feel.
0: Uh, I might not be here next week, no. Okay. Well, I've I've jinxed it then.
1: We also have a, uh, a contest that we announced on Monday and uh, just to alert everybody that if you are in the Toronto area, we want to send you to the iron claw screening that is coming up on Thursday, December the 14th at the Scotiabank theater in downtown Toronto. We are running a pair of contests. Uh, number one is that if you go follow us on Instagram at post wrestling, all you have to do is simply follow us and tag a friend that might be interested in such a movie, chronicling the lives of the Adkissons slash Von Erichs, and you will be entered in this draw to win tickets. And then our, our fun contest that is going online through our X account is you can cast any wrestler biopic that you would love to watch. Just give us the image of the wrestler and who you would cast to play that. We've already got some great entries already of uh, people that could portray uh, wrestling wrestling legends wrestling uh, stars of such and we will go through a rigorous screening process to see who has the best casting out there and uh, you will be walking away with tickets to go see uh, this movie before everyone else you can see this a full week before it comes out and hits theaters so the the deadline is a week from friday to get in all of your entries and uh there you go
0: Yeah, December 14th is the uh, um, uh, advanced screening, so you get to see it more than a week in advance of everybody else. So if you are in Toronto, want some free tickets to go see this movie, just enter either of the two contests or both of the two contests uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Post Wrestling.
1: We go on over to Monday's edition of Raw, which was a huge episode for the company coming off of the Survivor Series and the returns of CM Punk, Randy Orton, and R-Truth as the show drew 1,884,000 viewers and a .65 in the demo. So this was a 29% increase in viewers and a 34% increase in the demo from the week prior. This was highlighted by a commercial-free hour one that nearly did two million viewers and over 900,000 in the demo. And, um, you know, staying throughout the show, the audience dropped 12%, but there was an increase for the final quarter that featured, uh, both the conclusion of the Dominic Mysterio, Randy Orton match and CM Punk's address to the world that he is home. He has found his, um, he has found his way back home after, after a decade away. So this was Raw's Uh, largest audience since the uh, two nights after SummerSlam for the demo third biggest of the year behind the night after WrestleMania and the Raw 30th anniversary special back in January so very very healthy numbers and in Canada 349,000 viewers 140,000 in the demo Uh, this would be the highest audience in Canada since the night after WrestleMania and up 49% in viewers From last week so this was a big enough raw that both of our countries acknowledged it was a it was a big deal which does not happen too often we are rarely in alignment with our american counterparts when it comes to a number being up in the u.s and canada following suit but obviously a bit a big addition of raw tons of uh, buzz coming out of the show and we'll see how this momentum goes forward it's usually a low this period for wwe as they've got now an extended break before the royal rumble but there's a whole lot going on and i would say in particular raw you've got all these irons in the fire with all of these stories going on all of the like the punk story uh with rollins with cody with drew mcintyre with judgment day it seems that there's a lot of energy behind i would say wwe as a whole but in particular raw that do you do you expect punk to be raw specific over this this period
0: I do. I mean, he's working a program with Rollins right now, and um, I I don't see them juggling him on on both shows. Um, unless you know he wants to campaign for some sort of longer term program with Roman Reigns, perhaps. But I see him maybe sticking to Raw for now. Um, but this is a very good problem for them to have, you know, especially heading into WrestleMania season and specifically Royal Rumble season, where they've set up a number of really strong candidates to win the rumble this year so everybody i get get the sense is going to feel like a a a big player or at least several people will
1: and it's the year that you now have the two titles on top of it so i mean Mm -hmm. you you do have that option that you don't have to go with the obvious pick if you if you think it's a cody you you don't have to go that direction and you've got elimination chamber in 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 the meantime as, as you have for most years as well Now, on the other side was Saturday's AEW block of three hours. And as expected, they took it on the chin with uh, Rampage moved to Saturday night, doing 264,000 viewers, 0.08 in the demo. Uh, So falling from the previous week, where it was their lowest number ever in their regular time slot. Um, Collision in its normal time slot, doing 317,000 viewers, 0.09 in the demo. So for a regular scheduled collision in its saturday time slot this would be the new low for collision uh the previous week it had aired on on friday so that was a lower number but back on saturday um it, it, you can't take too much away from this other than it was expected to take a hit going against the survivor series but as i was speaking about with uh, brandon thurston today it's it's also the momentum that collision it just seems like with these premium live events happening so frequently the show just it doesn't even get its legs underneath it before boom, they they have one of these terrible weeks. And it just seems with each success of one, I wonder how many people's um, regular viewing of collision has been impacted by uh, just, you know, they're, they're just not becoming regular viewers of the show and the overall effect this is having on collision being on Saturdays and the frequency of WWE events and You know, it's, it's another two hours that you're asking your audience to squeeze into their schedule.
0: Well, the lows keep getting lower, John, you know, so it's, it's having, I would say, a cumulative effect on um, maybe the status and perception of AEW collision, maybe even AEW as a whole, you know, the, the, mm, as the weeks have progressed, I would say, you know, the show has like occasional sort of like bursts of like, hey, must see, but as the weeks have progressed, they feel like they're not as um, hot as maybe or as, as important, maybe as, as when they were when they began.
1: What's your um, like, how do you typically assess if you're going to sit down and watch Collision? Are you waiting to hear? Do you like cherry pick on the Sunday? Do you uh, like are you ever watching it on a Saturday night live?
0: Uh, it's it's kind of rare i might you know s- skip in tune in let l- little bits in there of course you know i'll listen to kate and cino and if they recommend anything i might uh, specifically but uh, typically i'll like you know because it's for like kind of work related um so i'm kind of a bad person to ask i suppose but like you know i'll i'll go on a sunday or maybe even a monday and i'll just kind of like pick the segments that i really want to check out
1: yeah you I would be curious how many people in Canada are like, we we don't get streaming numbers for, for Canada, but up here, like unlike dynamite, you, and for for that matter, rampage as well, you need to have TSN plus in order to watch collision. So it's not just having your, your TSN cable package. It's paying above and beyond that. And of course people can go uh, through their uh, alternative ways and means, but I mean, what percentage of people are going that extra mile uh, for collision versus just they follow through dynamite, and that's their their AEW consumption on most weeks. But anyway, not a not a great week for uh, AEW's programming. We will see how it uh, how it fares this week without any competition, uh, as they they are in the clear this Saturday beyond their uh, their usual sports that they have to go up against. Next story is one that concerns the AEW disciplinary committee, which maybe was the working title for this group that the devil is leading. The disciplinary committee, um, if we can only uh, so hope. Uh, but this report came from Fightful Select, who uh, had th- this came after a tweet from Brian Danielson that kind of uh, sparked this when uh, two days ago on Monday. So this is you know two days after CM Punk shows up at WWE. He wrote, my dad always told me the right thing is often the hardest thing to do. It won't always make the most money. It won't always be the most popular, but it's still the right thing. So this was kind of a, a cryptic message, and this report by Fightful gave a bit more of, uh, of context to this. And the report reads that uh, Fightful revealed that a long-rumored member of the, the disciplinary committee, Mega Parekh, had actually stepped back from a lot of her duties as chief legal officer by that time when this was all going down around uh, all in, all out. We've since learned that AEW General Counselor Chris Peck, who assumed many of her responsibilities, was part of the three-person committee along with an outside attorney. However, there was also one long-respected member of the talent roster that was involved in Brian Danielson. When asking sources on the AEW roster about his inclusion, one called him an appropriate moral compass who exemplifies objectivity and said that he effectively headed up and was the face of the disciplinary committee. Danielson was said to have spoken to the roster when addressing them about Punk's termination and noted that the decision was a particularly hard one. He cited the positives that Punk brought and his longstanding friendship with Punk, but said that it was the decision that had to be made. Now, it's also worth noting that when they announced Punk's release from the company in the press release, it it stated that, Following the investigation, the AEW Discipline Committee met and later convened with outside legal counsel before making a unanimous recommendation to Tony Khan that CM Punk be terminated with cause. So this was, you know, the the committee was in agreement and made this recommendation to Tony Khan that he said both in his address in Chicago and it was conveyed in the press release but i just wanted some of your thoughts way about going about this and you utilizing somebody on the roster that i think would be pretty universally respected like if you were to look up and down the roster of someone you would appoint for such a role i think it'd be a short list and danielson would be on that list um but in any way do you think that 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 puts a, a, any conflict just in the sense that here is a performer and he he is put in this dual role of management and a member of the locker room. Like it is, it is quite a like a bit of a burden to put on one guy's shoulders. I
0: would say, mm-hmm. I would say yes. You know, the answer to that specific question, but I think we might be able to make exceptions depending on who exactly we're talking about. Right. And I think somebody like Brian Danielson has had enough of a track record throughout just his reputation doing anything um as somebody who would be impartial enough to be able to you know just just do that particular job without sort of like you know um any any politics perhaps attached to it so i i mean i heard this and however it got out okay i mean the timing felt kind of interesting with him like almost like leading everybody on using a tweet like this, you know, almost claiming a responsibility before the story even broke from Fightful. um, Basically almost, you know, kind of taking ownership of at least partial ownership of, of, of the decision to, um, uh, I guess, um, fire CM Punk. Um, so I found that kind of interesting. But if you're looking at that locker room, and if you're looking at potential leaders and people who seem to be able to get along with everybody and are tremendous, like incredibly smart and hopefully, we'll have the company's um, interest first of all in mind. I think Danielson is at the top of that list. So, um, if if the AEW locker room is okay with it, then why wouldn't he be elected as their representative?
1: Yeah, I listen. At, at the end of the day, I think he made the decision that was the the decision they had to make. I don't. I don't see any way after all of that goes down that you can bring this guy back again. So, this was certainly someone that at the end of it made the decision with a company in mind and a locker room in mind, as opposed to this being somebody that I've known for 20 years and that I'm going to go out on a limb and, and stick up for. Um, Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation to be in, but I think he acted out in the way that I think any, any neutral party would have to come to that, that conclusion that there was a point of no return and they had, they had tried very hard to bring this individual back. And this this was a problem that this was like, this was a, a very significant move that they had to make with, with the knowledge that this outcome of CM Punk going to your competitor was a viable option. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it is going to be painted in such a way that man did AEW fumble things with CM Punk. Like what other option did they have? This was not a case of, the company not realizing what they had in a CM Punk or uh, underscoring his value. It was, man, they tried to rectify and gave him so much rope that it, it it was a case where this was an untenable situation.
0: Well, the argument from people that I I think would be defending CM Punk would be that how much did they actually try to rectify the situation itself? How much did they, do in preventing the situation from getting as bad as it did in the first place, you know, and I think a lot of blame could be, um, you know, we we could dial dial it all the all the way back to uh, before the workers' rights promo and and everything else, and even ensuing after you know uh, all, everything that had occurred. Um, how much has did management do to? create an environment or a, a, a positive result could have come out of these differences i mean there's we could we'll never really know the answer at this but but we could talk about it um so anyway um we we can uh, legally talk about it <laughs> we can legally but by the time all out, all in happened and, and the fight occurred you're right like there was no other choice but to sever those ties mm-hmm.
1: Also, sticking on the AEW front, the pre-sale has begun for All In next year, the return to Wembley Stadium. And uh, as of of Tuesday, WrestleTix reporting, and these are very early estimates, so these could adjust, but uh, citing a figure of over 27,000 tickets out. So this would be below where they were at the same pace for the first event, but not off by... um, I would say over 27,000 tickets out before the general on sale this Friday. I'd be exceptionally happy with, with that number for a show that is months away. And we were very reported, curious. What... Reportedly
0: higher priced than last year.
1: Correct, yes. So Friday mm-hmm. is the big day with the with the public on sale and we will see what the demand is there. But like, honestly, for, for a follow-up show, um, like I, I'm looking like if if they can get, Forty to 45,000, I, I look at that as a pretty big success at Wembley Stadium. Not everyone is going to look at that as a success. It's going to be the comparison to, to last year. But um, it, that was definitely a higher number than, than I thought that would be coming out of, like, the early pre-sale numbers.
0: I, I mean, there's no doubt that, I mean, that's the metric I think we would have used for this year's edition, right? You know, even at 40K, would All-In would have been a success. But I, I think um, there's there's very much a perception um, risk with running Wembley again, and if you're going from 80,000 to 40,000, I mean, that's a huge loss um, for your public perception of your company's popularity, right? Um, that's the number that I think most of the audience will focus on. And I, and I think that that sort of data does have an effect on, um, I guess, you know, audience interest uh, the, the same way an 80,000 number that they could boast about might have also had a you know uh, an effect on audience interest. Well,
1: I mean, if you're at 27 already, and I mean, I think it'd be very comfortable that they're going to hit over 30 um, by, by Friday. And you're telling me from now until August that they're not going to move more than 10,000 tickets. I mean, I would I would say that that would be more concerning if they if they get out of the gate here with 30 to 35 um, and you have like eight months here to sell uh, tickets for the show. So um, what
0: would be a number do you think that could basically, you know, um, be treated as a sort of um, uh, an acceptable sequel um box office to all in without a sort of like detrimental effect to AEW's sort of um perception
1: i mean honestly there's i i think it depends what what corners of commentary you you find like there's going to be ones that if they put 70,000 in it's going to be oh man what happened? you turned off 10,000
0: people um so if they have made if they drew 40,000 to you that just that's the story successful show AEW all in
1: I I would say, let's. I'm never going to look at a, a stadium show whether it's WWE, AEW, New Japan, anywhere. If you if you put forty five thousand in, into a stadium, it, that's a profitable show. Um, I, I think like that's that's a really impressive number, like forty five thousand people. But of course, you're you are going to be battling the the comparisons of of year one. I I don't think anyone can expect 80 but again we are so far out that we have no inkling of what is going to be number one the overall momentum the company has momentum can shift and what they will have for you know their card by then that um that they will build this up my 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 curiosity for you would be if you were just a consumer with an interest in going to this show um would you be someone that would just be grabbing your ticket now or would you be waiting until closer to to uh, purchase a ticket i don't i don't think anyone has that concern that i'm going to be left out and uh, left out if i don't buy a ticket now i think everyone knows you will have the opportunity to buy a ticket right up until the
0: show i would wait personally yeah um just just because i think um so much can happen i mean um so much how much energy and effort they put into the build i think will will be a big um difference maker for somebody like me um if i was them like i would I would like if, okay, let's say the idea is Osprey versus Omega. I would just announce it now, John. You know, I would just say, hey, pre-sale tickets. We have a big match planned eight months in advance. This is the match you're going to get. I mean, forget storylines, like whatever. Like you, you already have a story. You know, just say like uh, Will Osprey comes out, challenges Kenny Omega to uh, a match in his home home country. Like that's all you really need. But you know, we'll, do, are they planning on doing that match there? Or you know, are they not? Could injuries happen? Of course, you know. Um, but if they had those plans in place, I would I would even announce it now. Well, we'll see. This is
1: all based like this number is pretty much the the memories of the first all-in. It's Wembley Stadium and it's Will Ospreay. That's what is pushing this, this pre-sale number already. So Friday will be an interesting day if we get any uh, like hard stats about uh, what tickets they move. And the last thing is uh, WWE put out one of their, uh, their famous press releases uh, touting the success of the Survivor Series, announcing that uh, the event from Chicago on Saturday set new records for the highest viewership, largest gate, and best merchandise sales in the event's 37-year history. Viewership for Survivor Series was up forty four percent versus the previous record set in twenty twenty two. This is with Peacock's edition now up to twenty eight million homes there th- that it's in, with seventeen thousand one hundred thirty eight in attendance, which may be a legitimate figure that uh, Michael Cole broke on Saturday night. Uh, the event broke the previous Survivor Series gate record set in Brooklyn in two thousand and twenty one. That being the infamous show built built around the Golden Egg.
0: Oh man, I can't believe it beat that one! Wow. Yep,
1: three hours to track down a Faberge egg. In partnership with Fanatics, Survivor Series broke the premium live events all-time merchandise record. Sponsorship revenue was up twenty-four percent versus two thousand and twenty-two. Could could have fooled me with the the sponsorships on on Saturday. I mean, hard hard to spot them. They were so subtle. Well, we we, we had ruffles. Have... We had
0: Slim Jim. Uh, we didn't get a spot with the chips, but um, we could have. Maybe you that's should the have seen year. all
1: the post interviews that they put online where like Bianca Belair has got like a bag of chips that she's eating as she's interviewed. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just the visual of someone being interviewed with food to eat. I was, no, thank you. Don't need yeah. to hear whatever you have to say. So, mm-hmm. um, so Survivor Series, a, a big success. That was
0: pretty much what they said. And uh, uh, two new additions to the professional wrestling world here in the form of Ty Mello and Sammy Guevara welcoming a newborn daughter, as well as uh, Alexa Bliss and Ryan Cabrera welcoming yes. a child into the world. Congratulations to all four. Yes, happy um, couples. Yes,
1: they both gave uh, gave birth to daughters, and I saw a photo of uh, Ty Conti about a day or two ago that she had posted. This woman was ready to give birth. I mean, th- mm. this baby was ready to cu- to come out. So congratulations to all of the couples and their uh, their newest additions. So mm-hmm. there you go. Welcome to Parenthood. And I want to let everyone know that we have a new edition of Pollock and Thurston up today. Todd Martin joining us from the Pro Wrestling Torch, the co-host of The Fix with Wade Keller, discussing the return of CM Punk, the Tammy Sitch case, as well as the, the lawsuit over the WWE UFC merger. And um, and. And Todd Martin's prognostication that CM Punk would return uh, back in uh, 2014. And he was a proven right this week. So check that out. A lot of people seem to have enjoyed this chat uh, that Brandon and I had. So that is available on both the Post Wrestling and nomics feeds. And coming up on Thursday, we are going to be chatting about ECW, December to Dismember. The much maligned and well-deservedly so... Pay per view from ECW in December of 2006 at the James Brown Arena in Augusta, Georgia, featuring the Extreme Elimination Chamber match with Big Show defending his title.
0: Quite the show, yeah. Maybe uh, some considered to be the worst WWE produced pay per view of all time. Um, You know, we've we've had a string of like I think pretty good shows that we've actually reviewed. Maybe David Arquette aside, but um. I think it's time to dive into WWE CW.
1: It is. And in fact, you know, we are we are going to be looking back at some of Paul Heyman's thoughts, both going into this pay-per-view and a few years later, reflecting on this pay-per-view. And one of the um, more controversial decisions way was that going into the pay-per-view, do you know how many matches they had promoted for the event in advance? No, how many? Paid your 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 whatever uh, amount it was. They promoted two matches. And then you had to pay for this pay-per-view and just figure out what, what else is going to be put onto this pay-per-view. So here is Paul Heyman in 2006, just days before this pay-per-view and being asked, you know, two matches. Is this really the right call? Are people going to buy this pay-per-view?
0: If this chamber has enough intrigue attached to it and the lure of this super quality
1: tag team match between the Hardys and Eminem can, can, lure people and entice people to buy the pay-per-view, it'll do a good buy rate. If people are not intrigued by the chamber, if people don't give a damn about the Hardys versus, M- versus Eminem, it's not going to sell. I don't think it has to do with how many are out there. I think it has to do with the quality of what you're offering, the promotion and the marketing obviously involved, and whether people either A, want to see it, in which case they'll buy it, or they don't want to see it, in which case they won't. Spoiler, they didn't. <laughs> and we will talk all about this on Rewind Away Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com, as we review classics such as Matt Stryker versus Balls Mahoney as your bonus matches if you were so lucky to have bought this
0: pay-per-view. So looking forward to that. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast,
1: Let us get into dynamite tonight from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Russell Techs reporting over 4,600 tickets out for the show, and we have Brian Danielson on commentary for the Gold League matches on tonight's show, and that kicks us off with John Moxley against Jay Lethal in the Gold League. Moxley with three points and Lethal zero and one after last week, and they started off the match with the commentators going over the triple crown and some of the past holders. And this was essentially Excalibur and Brian Danielson getting to reminisce about their favorite all Japan wrestlers from the nineties. And Tony Schiavone just kind of nodding along as he uh, continued to just call the match. So I,
0: I guess I, I can't fault them for trying to you know build up the idea of this triple crown as something that's prestigious, but to argue that it would be on the level of an all Japan pro wrestling triple crown is is laughable you know what are you talking like, about way this is going to be the most prestigious triple crown um the, the all japan triple crown is is not a big deal simply because it's it's three belts it's it's a big deal because it's the top prize in the promotion which i really have a tough time thinking the continental classic winner will uh will be afterwards i mean they, they could prove us wrong of course it could usurp the uh, max's world heavyweight championship as the championship you've kind of got yeah. to build it first and then it gets that
1: that acclaim it's like what tna did when they first announced the very first bound for glory they were like they pretty much marketed this is our super bowl this is our wrestlemania it's like you haven't even run one of these shows yet let us determine what your big show is going to be with what you present us you can't just preemptively state this is our big show of the year you've got to make it your big show of the year and then it will be received as such. The same yeah, it,
0: it, i suppose so yeah but this is basically saying hey it's three belts in one you know that's that's that's, that's gonna be a big deal <laughs> that should be the tagline the continental classic it's gonna
1: be a big deal yeah put mm-hmm. your money where your mouth is so lethal worked on moxley's knee throughout the match this was a uh, very effective stuff after moxley went for a dive landing on his knee and we just zoom in on john moxley oh fuck And this would be our first F-bomb that would uh, make it onto air. And the lethal injection is caught. Moxley tries for the bulldog choke. But again, lethal goes back to the knee, go through the break. Moxley comes out of nowhere with the cutter. And then as he's on the turnbuckle, gets hit with a dragon screw. Lethal reverses out of an O'Connor roll, goes back to the uh, figure four. And then a lethal injection is attempted. But Moxley collapses down. So lethal cannot complete the move. But he's playing possum for a paradigm shift. Big King Kong lariat and pile driver gets a near fall, everyone pops, and then the rear naked choke is applied, and Lethal uses his free hand to try and punch the knee, so Moxley traps the arm so he can't punch his bad knee, and then Lethal taps out at 11 minutes and 19 seconds. I thought this was a really entertaining opener. I think Jay Lethal, always very consistent. He's not always like the most flashy and standout guy, but in a a match like this, built around a body part, I thought these two complemented each other really well. And I, I love that finish with the the arm trap and everything uh, affecting the knee of John Moxley.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciate that this match was a chance to see a different side of John Moxley's repertoire. For one thing, I mean, usually he comes out, he's wrestling uh, as a total bully as, and as a monster. That you know it doesn't really sell a ton. This was entirely different because he had the vulnerability with the the body part. Like it allowed Moxley to just basically tell, I think, a pretty well told like underdog story. And it took somebody who I think is a very strong technician, like a Jay Lethal, to bring that out. And you know his like a Jay Lethal sort of consistency make sure that every round Robin match of his is going to be a certain quality, no matter who he's paired up against. So I think he's a very welcome inclusion into these brackets. So pretty standard booking, I would say, you know, up until this point with um, uh, maybe other than the Eddie Kingston, you know, loss to, to Brody King, um, the favorites for the most part are winning. And I think early on, it's perfectly fine as they, you know, build up like your, your, your overwhelming sort of, um, I guess, dominant champions, former champions. Yeah, so Moxley moves to
1: two and zero oh with six points, and Lethal remains with zero. We go to Eddie Kingston's reaction after losing to Brody King on Collision, and he's just all he's slumped down in the back. Said he knew this would be tough. There's no scrubs in this tournament. Perhaps I was too arrogant and cocky by putting my titles on the line, but everything is earned, nothing is given, and I've got Danielson next. And he says I'm not. I'm not going to go back. I'll be humble in victory, humble. In defeat.
0: Mm-hmm. I love um well we all love Eddie Kingston when he's like, you know, spirited and passionate and telling somebody to basically like, you know, like go go F themselves. Um, but I also love sulking emo vulnerable King Eddie Kingston as well. You know, like like this poor This man. is the album cover. Yeah. Just slumped on the corner. Um, you know he's the guy who's i think what's so compelling about him is not only can he be such like a such a badass in ring and or even on the microphone but he also has the side that's very unsure of himself and it's incredibly relatable um so you know he's setting him to, like a big obstacle for himself to overcome and i think that's just um such a great ability to have as a professional wrestler and then we got a cameo on the show It was pricked Brian
1: Danielson, my favorite, because we go back to him, and there he is, and he just puts himself into promo mode. He says, that's how Eddie's reacting. After just one loss, he says he's behind the eight ball. I'm coming in with a broken orbital bone. I'm not behind the eight ball, and I won't be humble in victory or defeat. I'm becoming the first triple crown champion. Great promo from Danielson. And then it was like he just went right back to commentator mode for the next match.
0: He might have to discipline him.
1: So they have announced the Blue League matches for Saturday in Erie, Pennsylvania. Brian Danielson against Eddie Kingston, Andrade against Daniel Garcia, and Claudio Castagnoli against Brody King. Shivani is backstage, and he announces that AEW Revolution, featuring Sting's retirement, will take place Sunday, March the 3rd, and they're going to the Greensboro Coliseum, the site of the Clash of the Champions match between Flair and Sting, who are both brought in with Shivani, and Sting talks about the match from March of 88, going 45 minutes, and they made a big deal that they, we didn't just go 45 minutes, we went 45 minutes commercial free, so... Don't, don't think that Raw came up with the commercial free wrestling gimmick, okay? These guys mm. were doing it uh, way before Raw. And it says, Flair put him on the map, and here the three of us are all these years later. And then Flair says that words cannot describe what is about to happen. Sting made himself that night, and he says, this is going to be the greatest moment of my life. Not of Sting's life, of Flair's life. Sting's more, than,
0: more than winning the championship after the Rumble, where he said that.
1: Yes, yes, with a tear in his eye, which I think with these glasses on, there was a tear in his eye, or multiples, and said that he will be by his side next March. This will be one for the ages, and they plug tickets going on sale December the 15th. So they are definitely leaning on history here for Greensboro, which, you know, I think they should just blow up this weekend, and, like, do you see this being able to attract an audience that is going to travel like is this going to be that big of a deal because greensboro would not be your first pick in terms of a location for for tourists i mean this is but historically it obviously has a lot of sentimental value
0: do they need to rely on tourists to travel to to fill the arena? I mean, okay, well, it's 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 pretty damn big. 35,000?
1: Greensboro damn. call seems a big place. Like, obviously, they don't have to scale it to be full. But, I mean, yeah. y- you want to be shooting for the moon here for Sting's retirement. Like, right. like they have the chance to make this a, a really big deal, and they have the time to uh, make it as such.
0: So, is it, would this be classified as a stadium-level show if they opened it up that, that big?
1: 35? Um. I don't think the Greensboro is is that what Wikipedia I don't I don't think it holds mm-hmm. that many. Um well that's okay. I, I seem to recall like Greensboro can hold like over twenty, uh for, for, for sure. But um okay. yeah, it regard it's a it's a big arena. It's it's a big arena than than people realize. Um but regardless, it's it's one that is
0: um yeah, it yeah it, I, I mean I I think having a real legend's retirement um, with uh, like in a setting in town that I think has historical attachment to him is 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 a huge hook, you know. So um, whether or not it's enough to draw people from um, I guess neighboring areas or other places to to go and see, I think it stands a pretty good chance, John. You know, it, like this feels you like can make a
1: big weekend out true. of this if you're AW, and they should like they they should make this into a big like retirement weekend for Sting and. Um, And maybe lean on like some nostalgia, like it's, you know, you're booking this arena, you've got flair, you're already halfway there. And (laughs) there's a lot that they can do here. And this is, this is one of those one, once in a lifetime chances that they have to do Sting's retirement properly, and, and make this outside of just the regular AEW pay per view that is this, this month cycle. And, and it would seem like they're going to have a gap between world's end and this, like, it doesn't seem like there's a January or February pay-per-view. So it's not like you're coming back four weeks later either.
0: True. Right. But, you know, as I think maybe a lot of us would have expected, this seems like it's going to be the main event of that show. Right. I can't imagine. I anything else. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, if that's the case, you, you have to ask like who, who the opponent's going to be, that's going to help sting deliver like a main event level match. Will it be a tag team setting? Will it be a single setting? Um, you know, a lot more questions to come. And what is a Flair's involvement? Will it be next to Sting or, or will it be against Sting, potentially? Not in ring. Oh, jeez. Um, I hope. But, you know, at least uh, in a managerial role, perhaps. I thought this was a good idea to announce the date as well as, you know, just to kind of really drive home the sort of um, sentimentality of the entire occasion by having both of these guys. Uh Flair's promo... um mm-hmm. Uh, he was trying to get into Ric Flair mode, certainly, and I, I feel like, especially in recent years, it's that's been a bit of a struggle. Um, definitely sounded more unscripted than his WWE appearances, for better or worse. Um, overall, I thought maybe enough to satisfy like the people who want to see Ric Flair get into Ric Flair mode, but far from like, I would say smooth. You know, in my opinion, he did note that that forty-five minute match was not scripted. Not <laughs> really? scripted, okay, there a many. non-scripted match, as opposed there to no all script- the. Yeah, as opposed to all the matches you're about to see on this
1: television show. Yeah, <laughs> all these kids going through their matches. There was a great moment too where Flair tries to get Sting to do the woo with him, and yeah. Sting goes along with it. And then Sting is like, "This is really wrestling, isn't it? This is like the '80s." That's what he says. This is really like the '80s. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah, hmm.
1: I would, I would love to just like eavesdrop on like a car ride between these two, like just, um. Like they they don't seem that. like the, the two that would be like hanging out like around the clock. Sting and Flair, Sting and Flair, yeah. Really? I don't know. They they seem like they they, I, they live their separate lives, very
0: different. I sense they probably spent quite a quite a few car rides together.
1: Well, next up was Mark Briscoe and Roosh for uh, both men looking for their first points in the tournament, and we start off with some big chops on the floor. Danielson noting that Roosh possesses some of the hardest chops he has ever felt from anybody briscoe hits his elbow off the apron and danielson immediately is like i think that that's going to do a lot of damage to his hip he should be really careful about that and roosh is selling his leg at one point and catches mark with a belly to belly in the corner
0: so i i I do wonder if this was actually selling because a lot of this took place during the commercial break where he delivered like a super kick and then just started really favoring his knee
1: yeah i got that i I didn't rewind to go watch the spot but like they brought it up that it happened during the picture in picture and it didn't play into anything afterwards so i mean he very well could have like tweaked the leg or something like that
0: you had the trainer basically come in to look at him and they told mark to to step back as the camera focused only on mark and the man was hobbling like you know pretty well so obviously we're we're recording this right like less than an hour after after the show ended i'm sure by the morning we'll find out the truth about it could have been selling but it looked very pretty legitimate to me
1: this tournament is going to face its challenges, and this could be the first one. Mm-hmm. Mark prevents the bull's horns with a spear, and then back to chops. Roosh, with an overhead suplex, sends Briscoe to the floor off the apron, and Roosh gets knocked off the buckle. Froggy bow for a two-count. Roosh then stops the J driller and hits another overhead suplex, forearm smash, and the bull's horns to pin Mark and uh, picks up his first two points, and hopefully he is uh, he is not injured because he's got another... Uh, what is Well, three more matches in the round robin to go
0: for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always the trick when you're relied upon to, you know, in these round robin tournaments to basically lift up the rest of the, the tournament with your points. Right. So, um Hopefully he's okay. He was okay enough to finish the match here and deliver a bull's horns at, at the end. So I thought the announcers did a good job, of whether, like, assuming that this, this was a legit injury, the, the announcers, I felt, did a good job of incorporating it into the story of the match. And it actually made the match more compelling because it served to create, like, a good, gutsy, come-from-behind type of performance from Rouge here. So it made the match more memorable than otherwise.
1: I don't know if everyone would, would take to this. Like, it is kind of getting away from, like, a, a true um like way you would do this in 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 a sport but i thought an idea you could have because of the the injury concern and all the points being mapped out is that for each side you have like an alternate or two and if someone gets hurt that person takes their spot and assumes their points and Mm. that at least you know you have a legitimate reason if someone is out with a with an actual injury and it at least gives you kind of that framework of in the case of an injury this is this is what we have. And
0: has the G1 ever done that?
1: No, they they haven't. They usually they the person just forfeits their points if they can't wrestle. And that hmm. just throws everything into chaos. Like I'm amazed we haven't had more disasters in in the G1. Well, you like imagine kodobushi's shoulder injury had happened um the night before when they're doing like yep. the block finals. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like they have for for an event that, or a tournament that is booked over that month and for all the different um, people involved, they've been pretty lucky over time. Like they had Nakamura one year that had to forfeit a few matches but did finish the tournament. They've been pretty lucky overall.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of, of having, having substitutes.
1: RJ City is with Tony Storm and she is laid out on, on her couch. And <laughs> this is just ridiculous. And it gets further uh, by the week. She says she was rudely interrupted last week during her celebration and they partied into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> JFK was there or <laughs> one of the Kennedys was there. And she says she is dehydrated and has a touch of the gout. And we learn that she is going to be defending her title next week. And then has RJ remove her shoes.
0: Because of the gout. The gout. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, Is, is she... Uh,
0: I guess she's cleared, though, to compete next week in Montreal, despite the count. It seems like they're, they're begging on it. But no... Well, okay, I guess the tease. Could it be Mariah May? That's the opponent. They We'll get into that, yeah.
1: Well, we can explain it now. Later in the night, we have RJ with Mariah May, who is, like, flirting with RJ. And thank you for putting me in contact with Tony. And then we reveal that they're outside Tony Khan's office, and she wanders inside and we we didn't get any uh, resolution to that, but you're right. That could be the announcement of of her opponent, which seems really fast tracking things of
0: uh, wh- where you're going. If wouldn't if be is. sensical for for her to just walk into Tony's office and walk out with a title shot. So that that might not be where they're going. Um, but nonetheless, I, I I have no other real idea of who she could be defending the title against. I mean, you know, well, this has know. to pay off some somehow. Something that she has granted. Oh, sure. Yeah. But it might not exactly be a title shot. An eliminator bout. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I just wish um, maybe if it's not Mariah May, I, I I wish we'd have a bit more indication of what match we could be looking forward to. Because otherwise, you're just telling people this is you know going to be a meaningless title defense from Tony Storm.
1: MJF comes out with a cane promotes his match with Joe at the pay-per-view doesn't like Joe personally but professionally he respects him and what he's done for the industry Joe didn't come here to line his pockets he believed in AEW and he mentions that when he was a child he got a poster in the mail for TNA and he who's
0: sending out TNA posters uh, in the mail
1: I I have no idea, but probably it was uh, from Ross Foreman, I would guess, Hmm. to uh, their mailing list of some sort. But anyway, um, got a TNA poster, and this converted MJF to become a TNA fan. He started to check them out and was amazed at what he saw, including Samoa Joe. No one cared that he looked unconventional because he was the baddest man on the planet. And later, his talents were not rewarded in WWE. Boo! proper mistreatment of talent he proved you don't have to be a massive male model to be a top guy and you pave the way for guys like me um i see these two <laughs> being very distinctly different people
0: uh, yeah nonetheless i um, appreciate the creativity in being able to link um i guess your own career with samoa joe's but um number one i don't even know if joe would be like the first person you would name as somebody who broke that mold you know like there have been people that i think don't look like a typical male model that have achieved even a greater M- McFoley break the mold um maybe uh yeah like i don't know yokozuna like did, did you know how, how far back are we going back back here you know paul anyway. white sure yeah and to somehow suggest that joe broke ground for mjf to to yeah. to, to, to for his business anyway, non- non-model it's so it's like for, for dudes that don't uh, dudes that don't look good i mean okay. have you have we seen we've all seen mjf with his shirt off right like this is about like i would say much closer to male model than samoa joe maybe lance von eric broke the mold
1: for the mjfs of the world uh, sure. so yeah. he says that uh Without Joe, there may not be an AEW. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> go on. <laughs> and he thanks, Joe. He says, "You know, I'm not too shabby myself. I paved a pretty nice road for myself. I built this place brick by brick since day one." Um, he's the crowd's chanting MJF and notes some of the biggest names he's built. He's beaten, including Cody Rhodes, Phil, Jericho, Danielson, Moxley, Omega. But the person I was most lucky to survive was Samoa Joe who is a wrestling legend, but on December 30th, it's not about your legacy, Joe, it's about mine, calls Joe the final boss of this sport and promises that regardless of his knee, hip, and shoulder injuries, he's going to beat him within an inch of his life and promises to show the world it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And on December the 30th, I'm going to put you down. And with that, he breaks his cane in half because real men don't rely on objects to stand on their own two feet. And there there you have it. I mean, first of all, in 2023, to be able to non-ironically use a it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog and this crowd just ate it up. I mean, that is that is an over baby face, OK, because that that's a sure. gutsy line to try and use um, and, and not just get uh, uh, laughed at.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely award points. Well, maybe you, it, when he said it, you take away points. But the fact that he got a reaction for it, maybe you do give him points for it. Yeah, I, I thought overall, OK, despite maybe the holes and some of the logic um, in, in his comparison points about Samoa Joe, I thought this was like a good, serious MJF promo that I think is a good antidote to maybe a lot of the criticisms about his particular storylines right now being too entertainment and not enough sport. Um, like, he, we know he can cut these great promos just simply talking about building up his opponent and then talking about wanting to break him down in the body of a pro- professional wrestling match. And this was largely that. I, listen, the enter- entertainment was to come. The
1: goal of this promo was to build up the match and make it feel bigger than it did before this segment. And I thought he did it. I thought this was, like, a great promo to build up a match that is a month away. And I just thought, like, it just, like, it set the table for this rematch. And what is this guy fighting for? Like, what is... MJF trying to get out of a second win uh, against this guy. And then all hell breaks loose. The lights go out and four masked men attack him. And Joe runs out to his aid, clears the ring. And then we get a screen with text.
0: I think the same font from uh clerks as well. <laughs> Is that right? Is it Kevin Smith? Is it silent Bob and, um, Jay kevin under the mask yes i promise you okay this was uh, (laughs) a man
1: in the shadows our game begins next week mjf and joe will you face the unknown in a tag team
0: are you a hero max okay so you actually saw everything yes because at least on the fight feed like it just went dark for half of this so it, did, we... it, it did go dark and then eventually this came up um
1: i did have the same like it, there was delay between this running and i didn't know if that was on my end
0: but you saw the text before I... this because this um... is the first thing that i saw will you oh. face the unknown in a tag match so whatever was before okay this yeah there was off.
1: text before this that I saw. okay
0: yeah interesting
1: well um yeah mjf just gets on the mic i'm sick of this scooby-doo bullshit and he will take them out one by one and unmask them, accepts the tag match. And Joe is pissed because MJF is hurt and he wants to keep this guy healthy for the title match next month. So we've got the, the partners that are not going to get along. Um, I really enjoyed the first half of this segment and I utterly detested the second half. This is a perfect exhibit A of a lot of the dissent about what is going on right now and i think Corey graves nailed it when as soon as the segment aired he just typed retribution with a question mark and oh, he did perfectly summarized like this devil stuff like i'm fine for a prolonged reveal uh, that leads somewhere and there's a mystery attached to it but this is so goofy forget the fact that this is your your main storyline but dude this is everything i don't want out of this show and this segment perfectly summarized it of the two competing um goals that you yeah. are trying to achieve in your main event scene
0: well i mean uh, maybe instead of tweeting ret- retribution maybe um i would have tweeted dark order because i i certainly felt like it had um very similar vibes to that one and and w- well what exactly is the sort of like the difference It's bad production, namely, John, you know, like when you're doing these sort of like lights on, it's yeah, yeah, you cannot be corny, you cannot be cheesy, you better hope that you have, I don't know, like Hollywood level production when it comes to some of this stuff. And this was like, so poorly done, you know, the lights flickering on and off, and then the worst part is because they're flickering on and off, you could still see what's going on in the ring. And it's not like these masked men came into the ring to attack MJF. They basically ran into the ring and MJF just kind of got into position for them as if the lights were, were off. But we could see everything going on. Um, it looks bad. And to come off of like, you know, what was pretty like a pretty good serious promo from MJF into all of this sports entertainment like stuff. Is uh, unfortunately leaving a bad taste in your mouth. Clearly, at this point, they're using Joe as a surrogate for Adam Cole, as you know, his tag team partner, who's there to defend him. Um, and it's watering someone with Joe down, a guy who's typically, you know, one of the more real and serious, you know, wrestlers out there. To have him, it's venture. It's it, the first time they did it at the pay per view. I thought was fine. It made sense. He's doing this to earn the title shot. To keep it up in this fashion, I. I don't know. It's kind of breaking my sort of um, immersion a lot. I
1: I hated this. I thought it was easily the worst thing on the show.
0: Um, The tech issues didn't help, at least for me.
1: No, no. But it was, it's just, it feels very, very rinky dink, but it's like at, at its core, it's just a bad angle and it really comes off as just really it, it was the contrast that just smacked me in the face in in this segment like this this is the perfect 10 minutes to explain to people you are trying to do two completely different things and it's almost like pick one and go with it but hmm. um you're you're trying to do both and it it was very glaring and then uh, okay for, for for all i want to say about uh that at least it got our reaction from the commentators when they came back that says AEW IT security is on this matter regarding the devil, because as Shivani explains that this, these band of devil worshipers have been able to tap into AEW's lighting and broadcast system. And then they inform them that Tony Khan has made the match for next week. And the announcers have to be shocked that Tony has done What? It's like oh my god this is the best it, please wow. give us faces to aew's it security team please <laughs> please let like chris Norton. harrington be leading the
0: it security team um that, that be sammy callahan time. the hacker oh they've hacked into our is it be sammy Callahan in our broadcast system Be sammy sammy callahan and mustafa ali as the hackers coming in <laughs> oh my god don't give them ideas um uh, just, no it's it's terrible like this sort often, of like hard to believe in type of uh angle makes everybody who has to push it look bad that includes joe that includes your commentators it
1: kills so. your credibility like it's such a goofy angle that yeah. is the 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 opposite of what you are trying to achieve with an angle like this <laughs> we're blowing ar fox which was uh the best the best angle of last year last week at least to to set this up <laughs> where the man was uh, approached by Air Fox and then he headbutted him <laughs> and left him for dead so we've had a week to digest Fox gets the jump with a pair of dives before the bell even rings and then goes for a shooting star off the edge. He's caught, dropped on the apron, and then is suplexed into the ring to start the match. And we get an impromptu technique by Taz, who explains to Shivani what the difference is between a Beal and a hip toss. Because this was a Beal. That Wardlow executed. Uh-huh. Wardlow then misses, runs into the buckle, takes a 450 splash, but kicks out right away. Big wind up lariat, pair of power bombs, swan tawn, and then a last ride power bomb that is so devastating. Bryce remsberg waves it off in three minutes and 14 seconds, and that was all the Fox said.
0: I don't believe he's done the last ride variation before, has he? No, this was
1: a th- this was an extra level of grudge that he brought right. to AR Fox for having the the the.
0: the Goal to approach him. In well, of- at least this week uh, it seems to have replaced the uh, symphony. So um, I, I'm happy for all of Ward knows, Wardlow's opponents if he's adopting this as his new finisher. Um, that they no longer have to take like five power bombs in a row. So, um, I mean, AR Fox is a really interesting story, isn't it? You know, like it was like the focus of attention prior to all in uh, for whatever visa issues or whatever was taken off the show and then has since just kind of fallen back into job or duty. Right. So very strange what's going on with him this year. Uh, this was a Wardlow match you've seen, I guess, a million times in the past. He does the squash match fine, but man, uh, they continue to be very forgettable, you know. He just—he's been on TV. I now—I feel now for like two, three months, and I—I I, everything's been kind of forgettable because it all just kind of feels like a rerun, right?
1: Let me ask you: If he was subjected to a urine test, would that get rid of this animal in my backyard?
0: <laughs> Wardlow urine as a raccoon deterrent? Um, no, fox. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't sure where you were going there. Yeah, uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe Wardlow's piss as well. Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. For whatever reason, um, they decided, you know what people
1: need to see? Dante Martin's ankle getting contorted uh, 360
0: degrees. There, there was very much a, a good reason. This was the man in his return match, you know, and as, as awful as the footage is, I mean, it kind of is like gory gold, right? For like, you know, creating emotion. So I definitely think they should have showed it. In, in well, fact, I'm disappointed they didn't make a bigger deal out of this band's return. I mean, think about the weeks of vignettes we could have had as this guy is talking about, I don't know, the the horror of, of suffering an injury like this. He and showed up backstage on Saturday.
1: So I'm coming back.
0: Yeah, he did a fist bump, and that was the extent of uh, the the buildup. His that was his beautiful day, just fist bumping his brother. I mean, it's a it's a shame because like it is spectacular footage. It's a horrific injury that we are we're all witness to live, and there's so much like emotion and story you could tell of a man working his way back from that, going through rehab, the trepidation he'll have of trying to reclaim the style that he he used to work with that leg injury, and they threw all of that away. I don't disagree. They th- there was a lot there of just here's
1: a guy that you could have really tapped into. I'm sure, like what was a really challenging, um, god, eight month period, uh, since, since he since he got hurt back in March. And hey, uh, sit down interview with Jim Ross. Yes, I'm nervous to come back. I'm part of top flight and. Here I am, like, unsure of myself for the first time in my career. I don't know how I'm going to respond when I get into the ring again. I mean, you could have built up quite a story here. And on top of that, man, this crowd, they were really into his return on top of it. They got a great reaction. These three guys coming out.
0: They're, it's their hometown. It's
1: their from hometown. Minnesota. Like, they picked the right spot. But mm-hmm. I would say even so, it's its not like top flight are pushed as, like, the, this big team from Minnesota or or in general and they came out and this audience really took to them when they came out like this felt like a significant deal on the show and we have uh top flight and andretti against the Hardys and brother zay and jeff and andretti start the match tony Schiavone, um who could not have aged the Hardys more brings up that the Hardys have been teaming together for 28 years and dante is 22 years old
0: oh goodness wow <laughs> <laughs> thank
1: you tony i'm sure they'll they'll really appreciate this one on the rewatch they go through the picture and picture and Matt hits a side effect onto Andretti, but then he stops the twist of bait. Dante and Zay are in, and Dante executes a springboard crossbody. Matt makes the save, and then Dante stops the twist of bait, lands some head kicks, double team with Darius, and then action and Darius are knocked off the apron. We see the poetry in motion delivered to Dante, and then Zay hits a springboard dropkick, knocking Dante off the hardy shoulders, and Zay gets dropkicked into a German by Darius, and Dante finishes off Zay with this half-Nelson driver in 7 minutes and 56 seconds. So it is Dante uh, picking up the win, and, man, they are going to be throwing them into the fire because in the very next segment, (laughs) Dante Martin is uh, now set for a trios match with his partners against... Penta Commander and El Hijo del Vikingo. <laughs> I was like, "Are you guys out of your mind?" This welcome back.
0: <laughs> well, there are no ladders in this one, uh, thankfully. My at God, least, you yes. know, um, yeah, spectacular booking. I, I it, it's exactly I think the type of match you make to put all six of these men into focus. You know, you're you're delivering basically like you know a high flying masterclass here. I wonder least- if they're um,
1: taping this for. They announced nothing for Rampage on Friday, and I'm wondering if this was being taped tonight to to air on Friday.
0: Wouldn't you think they sh- they sh-
1: would have announced the the match if if I mean they brought all these guys in for tonight I would think they're probably doing the match tonight. yeah you're right yeah uh, but they never yeah, announced well, it not? for for Friday I would have at least said hey unless I missed it they I don't think they announced anything for Rampage they just announced the the Blue League matches for Collision
0: well it'd be really disappointing if they were all there and you could have said hey this match is booked for next week and um they're left you're left kind of wondering but maybe we'll find out um before the show ends anyway it was a good showcase match for Dante Martin I I I, uh, for his comeback I thought he looked great here um you know I'm sure we're not seeing the full extent of like what he he was capable of before but this wasn't really the match for that either it was also nice to see him debut a new finisher that doesn't rely on jumping
1: yes I mean this this is uh probably um a, a good finisher to to have in mind So we continue on and we go to Julia Hart and Amy Sakura for the TBS championship with Julia Hart's title win. She has brought back the house rules. So Amy Sakura has determined no submissions in this match. So this removes heartless.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, uh, you can't win with it, but she could still apply. Yeah. Yeah, She could use it, but not win the match with it. Uh, Julia Hart is also a native of Minnesota and thus was Mm -hmm. uh, given up a pretty good reaction here. And Amy Sakura kind of just went with it and took over like, you know, playing like the heel mannerisms and such. And they kind of just went with it here and maybe to be expected that Julia Hart's been audiences have been getting behind her anyway. And tonight it was going to be accentuated.
0: She's a bigger star as well. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. So Hart gets sent into the steps. We go through the break. Hart applies heartless, but we got Aubrey Edwards. It's house rules. You can't win. And is tapping but it has no effect so there's a lariat from behind by heart and she stomps the ribs climbs to the top and she goes for the moonsault and amy at the last minute tries to roll over julia still lands on top of her and then pins her i almost
0: i almost get the sense that like um sakura was trying to make up for Julia's sort of overshooting of the mood soul because it looked like she was landing pretty far away and it was almost like Sakura was rolling into her to make contact
1: um that could have been what I saw um it looked really clunky the the way this was and then just pinned mm-hmm. her anyway so um wins it in seven minutes 36 seconds um you know at least the, the audience like was was into Julia Hart I wouldn't say it was a spectacular match or anything but at least you know Julia Hart is picking up uh with the audience and that has been pretty consistent here
0: yeah i thought it was like overall a good match i think you know i'm a i'm a fan of sakura anytime she's on tv i i think her intensity is really strong i think her personality is really strong anytime she's in there and she brought a good fight out of julia hart here who continues to really connect with the audiences this was meant to be a continued sort of um showcase of julia hart in this new role as tbs champion and i thought it was successful you know so now we await to see her in an actual bigger feud uh, coming out of this. Um, I had actually missed the house of what house rule sort of um, stipulation with the submission thing. Um, they had Justin Roberts announced it. they had um, uh, Excalibur announced it as well. Uh, but I guess I've, I've learned to kind of tune out a lot of that stuff. So personally, I, I, I don't think it would have hurt to like, you know, shoot something backstage, but man, then you'll get criticisms from people saying, this is, this is too much like WWE. How can you sh- show anything backstage? RJ said this is where he, uh, RJ Oh no it's two uh, W W uh, a backstage segment.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Ra, Raw took over here because um, Mariah may went into Tony Khan's office. And, uh, I guess we will await the, uh, the outcome of this meeting. Christian cage comes out with security, uh, including a uh, Jake Manning and some other, uh, indie talent here. And he calls out Adam Copeland. He wants to speak and he's waiting and waiting. Finally, Copeland's music plays and cage hides behind the wall of security Says management wanted security out here, not me, and asks security to leave. So they do. And Cage says, we're not going to make it to Montreal next week because I'm sorry. And he goes and mistakenly calls kill switch Luchasaurus. And the crowd gets on him for the mistake. Says he was upset when Copeland took out uh, Luchasaurus. And Copeland was or Christian was so mad that he got in his car and went for a long drive. And he reflected. And brings up his history with Adam Copeland, how they used to use uh, Christian's mother's Taurus when they were broke. Not black Taurus, but the, the vehicle. And they knew they were going to make it. And boy, did we. We became the greatest team ever. Two of the greatest careers ever. And mentions how everyone knows that you grew up with a single mom with no father figure. And the crowd is just like, oh, no, he's going to go there. And says Christian might be the patriarch here in aew but i wasn't your father but i was your brother and my father ended up becoming your father are you keeping all this clear yeah christian's mm -hmm. Christian's father was adam's father um and he just like like calmly included that christian's father would discipline and hit him you catch that line i did not he's like he would discipline you and strike you it's like really that that seems like um, crossing a line, I what? would think, of oh. her.
0: Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I did not catch that. Well, huh. Anyway, that's quite a, I don't know,
1: hmm. an odd um, non-parenting technique. Okay. And Cage says he loves Adam, their family, and then brings up Adam's mother passing away a few years ago. And how one of the last things she says was what she would give to see the two of them team up one last time. And Christian suggests, let's do it one more. Let's do it for Judy, the Jude Meister. <laughs> and Adam stands back. He's like processing all of this. And then Cage lifts up the belt and he's going to nail him with the title. But Adam kicks him in the balls and just says, Nice try, dumbass. Shine that belt up because next week it's coming home with me. And oh, yeah, go fuck yourself. And. That's it. None of the sensors uh, caught this one. Not TBS and not TSN. <laughs> this one made oh, no. it right out um, to on 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 both ends. So anyway, everyone everyone got to know uh, Adam Copeland's uncensored message for Christian Cage. And uh, next Wednesday, Montreal at the at the Bell Center, which is a big yeah. match.
0: Very strong go home promo for this match. I, I think Christian is one of the best performers in the company at the moment on the microphone. He was absolutely great here. Uh, you know, it's it feels like. Um, They've been building to this ever since, uh, you know, Copeland has made his arrival, of course. Um, And I think Montreal is the right place to do it. And this was a good go-home promo.
1: Yeah, I mean, based on the size of the crowd they get, I mean, it should be really like Montreal is an excellent crowd. You've got a, a big time match and, and we'll see how much, I mean, they pretty much laid this out last week. So we, we will see how much uh, movement there is over the next week. But I, I thought it was a really strong segment to set up next week's show. And I think it's the time to be going to this match. And our final match of the night is Jay White and Swerve Strickland, both 1-0 in the tournament. Danielson is back on commentary, and they all reflect on the Texas death match that Danielson calls the most violent match he's ever seen. And White gets tossed over the barricade. And did you notice this? This fan was, like, getting involved, getting a little too involved. And both Mm. Swerve and one of the security members, like, admonish this dude, like, keep your hands off the wrestlers and sit the F down
0: yeah i did notice
1: um, do you think he should be arrested and put in prison
0: <laughs> probably not considering they fell into his lap you know he probably shouldn't be like do- i don't i don't think he was doing anything that bad you know it was just, I, I, it was, I think it they just were just being cautious maybe yeah. he was
1: just getting a little too uh rambunctious uh but swerve then does this awesome sequence where he's just going from one spot to the next with the flatliner and I mean th- this crowd, they really have embraced this
0: this near baby kidnapper. Uh you kidnap Everyone a baby? Mistakes, right? You gotta learn from them. They, you th- kidnap that was, a baby that was like a month ago. You kidnap a baby and you turn into a baby face. Yeah, it's like he didn't really kidnap the baby. So I mean
1: the man has has a line.
0: He didn't cross. He's yeah, just a threat. Yeah. That's a
1: White hits his own flatliner in a German suplex, Swerve with a big lariat. Both men are down, and then out of nowhere, White chop locks the knee, Uranagi, and applies the Fujiwara onto the damaged shoulder of Swerve, but Swerve is able to roll out, snaps the arm of Jay White with his foot, and we nearly get the ref brump, and playing off of last week, Jay White goes to kick him in the balls, which is how he won last week, but Swerve is ready and catches the kick, and he lands the Swerve stomp, huge near fall and what added to this it was 10 o'clock on the dot and even though they've told you now that it could go past the hour you're still so trained to believe that it's going to end at 10 that this near fall had like an extra oomph to it with uh the, the time of the show um right when it happened so he hits the blade runner out of nowhere but swerve rolls out to the floor and Swerve is brought back in. Another Blade Runner gets blocked. They trade these big chops. They announce there's five minutes left in the match. And there's a counter to the Blade Runner by Swerve into a cradle, catching him by hooking the leg and pins Jay White. So Swerve moves to 2-0, tied with John Moxley uh, with six points.
0: Oh, this was a great match. I, I think my favorite match on the show. You had, you know, two heels here, technically. Um, both of them very similar in style. Both very cerebral styles of heels with very compatible in ring sort of like mm, I would say mm, you know qualities. I love the idea that despite the both of them being heels, you you had sort of basically sort of like being the smarter of the two, being able to out anticipate and even uh out counter the counter wrestler in Jay White. Um he was fantastic here, so fluid in so much of what he does. It was technically, yes, a double heel match, but this was sort of entirely embracing, I think, a babyface role. Um it's this has been like a really good thing for him after the Texas Death Match. You know, keeps him on TV and keeps him in the forefront of people's attention, and it allows him to wrestle as a babyface against other heels in a very natural and organic way. So this follow up to the Texas Death Match, whether or not sort of intended, um, you know, has worked out really well for Swerve. He feels like a main character on this show.
1: I thought it was a really enjoyable match. I would go. Uh, I thought it was the match of the show as well, just ahead of uh, Moxley and uh, Jay Lethal. But yeah, I, I honestly, I, I enjoyed all of the Gold League matches on tonight's show. Like I thought, each of them had their their strengths to them. And I would say Swerve is barely clinging to heel status at this point. This audience is so ready to turn him, and they were right to lean into it in 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 this match. It just seems like the audience is so prime for Swerve Strickland to. Uh, come out of this tournament in a big way as one of their key stars for 2024 that it feels like he has been elevated to and and rightly so he's had an incredible year and it seems that he's on on the cusp of reaching that next level yeah agreed so i would say tonight's episode of dynamite i think there was there was there was more good than bad but man did i hate that angle with the uh the devils Mm -hmm. that was my low point of the show
0: felt like a pretty standard edition of dynamite to me you know you had um progression through the um, uh, continental classic tournament matches and all of them are i think of a decent quality main event was the best one but um i i don't know maybe maybe um i maybe my expectations are just too high for like you know match quality on dynamite these days after you know being presented with matches that we would end up kind of talking about afterwards and i don't know if we'll talk about any of the matches we saw tonight they were very good and certainly worth my time but um, maybe maybe it's just a higher bar that um uh, and then beyond that you know it decent show overall missing
1: like a bunch of like your stars like obviously there's the story with with the young bucks that they're kind of written off but like no omega no jericho um no hangman's been kept off since since the pay-per-view as well so it's it's kind of a Focusing more and w- with this tournament, I mean that that eats up a lot of slots on these shows that you're going to mm-hmm. be focused on those. So for Rampage, uh Vikingo, Pentagon, and Commander did team up, but they face Brian Cage and the workhorseman That'll air Friday. So it looks like that's a setup and they'll probably get to uh top flight and Andretti on one of next week's shows. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um that is Dynamite. And if you want to chime in with any super chats we will also be going to the forum uh where there's a bunch of feedback to tonight's show
0: yeah dj depression says where do i send the fox piss john
1: um you know what um i want to research this anecdote because i think way could be just pulling our legs um i've never heard this remedy before but i will um i I will investigate but thank mm -hmm. you very much dj
0: depression for the offer Look it up, John. Go ahead. Curly Mustache FTW says, uh, sends $10. Thank you for the support, Curly Mustache FTW. He says, this devil storyline is convoluted, and MJF is a great wrestler, but if this is the story he's pitching, should he be top star right now, especially when you see Swerve breaking through on a weekly basis?
1: I have no problem with MJF in the, the role he is in, and he's not the head of creative either. I mean, every talent is going to have ideas that they pitch, and it's down to like your your showrunner that has to be able to weed out the the good from the bad. And I, I mean, there's going to be plenty of pitches that you get that you have to be able to realize, like, is this working? Is this not working? Is does this fit the tone of the show that we want to have? And they're very committed to this devil storyline. I don't see them dropping this um, based on a bad reaction one week. Um, they're they're going to see to the end of it but man i i don't even necessarily state drop the angle i think there's something to this reveal that has some value attached to it but man you've got to give more of a of a serious more adult approach to this story because this feels like a bad a bad like b movie that i'm watching
0: yeah, I think it's great to have a like a whodunit, you know, and, and a mystery sure. that lasts throughout several months. But it has to be done tastefully, and it's definitely veering on um like poor taste at the at the moment just because it 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 doesn't look good. It looks corny. Um, so they they have to either reveal it quickly and make sure the reveal is satisfying, or just um improve i suppose you know the quality of it i i mean swerve is on the ascent but like I, there's no need to um maybe even make that comparison right now because i think swerve will get there i think judging by the first few matches that in this collision um classic they sorry continental classic they have those aspirations for him um but i i don't think it's it's time to just abort like you know the mjf title run either because of any of this All right. Thank you. Let's go to forum.postwrestling.com. Okay. We're going to start off with uh, Mark who writes, tonight show felt incredibly focused, almost as if they're
1: responding to a ton of the criticism as of late, no segments that overstayed their welcomes, no 30 minutes of MJF, very little catchphrase comedy, a clear direction on pushing several people in the continental classic and clearly getting the company behind Swerve as a top level guy. Roosh has also stepped up in the tournament. Great to see top flight back in action. Would love to see a trio's title run with them. Julia Hart's Kurt Angle like moonsault, while awesome looking, is starting to get scary. Looking forward to next week's show in Montreal. Smart move to go with two recognizable former WWE stars in the main event for that market. AEW does have French TV does not have French TV in Quebec, so it is definitely going to struggle for attendance.
0: I wonder, like in, in Montreal, um, I'm assuming a lot of people will be watching, just like most of us over here on the TSN apps. So, have they? They haven't done Montreal before, right?
1: No, this is the first time in the market, which is why I thought, you know, the first time in, I thought they were going to do, um, and they're doing two nights as well ne- next week. I would and, say. and you
0: know how ticket sales are at the moment?
1: Um, they, they haven't been, like, overwhelming for for that market. Like, I think they're mm. both under 4,000 um, at, at last check, which for, for the Bell Center, like, you've been in there. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's an NHL-sized arena.
0: Yeah. Let's go to Andrew from Cape Breton, who says, it was a fun show tonight that flew by. The highlight match was Mark Briscoe versus Roosh, and I love how the word fuck has been a pivotal part of Adam Copeland and Kristen Cage's story. You only need one big swear word to make things impactful. The main negative was attached to the MJF story. So Retribution showed up and ran away quickly, and the hacker Solomon Crow or Sammy Callahan got into the production truck. Maybe Mustafa Ali joined him. It felt like the devil story may have gone a bit too too far tonight. And my biggest fear is that it might actually be Tony Khan. Maybe the it's logical, Mike mansuri Um <laughs> he would have control, sure. The logic is that he would have the ability to put stuff in the production truck and he would ignore Adam Cole's injury if it meant getting the belt off of MJF. Now, granted, this might be the finger poker doom of AEW if this happened, but that's my fear. It would especially be bad as I've been enjoying the Continental Classic and stuff like how that is presented is how I would like to see AEW going forward.
1: I think it's an awful idea. I mean it would be I do feel that that would be the jumping the shark moment I'm not saying for the company necessarily but I think for a enough of your fan base I think that would be a killer if this was revealed to be Tony Khan and he is now your your lead heel boss owner
0: I don't think that's going to happen i well, i really can't see it this but. is
1: not some isolated opinion like many people have thrown that idea out there i just i think it's an awful idea and i think that it would be very very counterproductive extremely yeah.
0: i mean he himself is somebody who said that he he doesn't want to re- like appear on tv as an angle or sorry as a character now he's done characters he's done yes, the character you know.
1: stuff i mean you, you can never dismiss but. that stuff
0: I guess you can't dismiss it. I just think it. I feel like you. We can all immediately already know what the re- response is going to be, and knowing how bad this guy is as that character, how bad he is on TV, I, I, I have to think there's some level of self-awareness there. Um. All right, your turn.
1: Muggen writes, "It's pretty remarkable that Dante Martin bounced back from that horrific ankle injury. He looked like he didn't miss a step. In the six-man top flight, and Andretti are a good trio to chase either the six to chase either six-man tag title. <laughs> yeah, I was like reading either of like, oh yeah, of course they've got two sets of six-man tag titles. Swerve and Switchblade was a strong main event by having uh, Swerve be the de facto babyface since White and Lethal are working his heels, made for a better atmosphere than having Minneapolis sit on their hands. Copeland telling Cage off was very good symmetry. Montreal will be molten for both men."
0: And I'm sorry I missed this uh super chat earlier but John Taylor says when the raccoon cuts a promo in John's backyard and says I'm home then John should worry.
1: Yeah, you know what um I could tell the the raccoon was thinking that today and it sounded much more genuine than than Monday night so I feel I felt he meant it um this raccoon but guess what Daddy's home and
0: I'm evicting <laughs> tomorrow, okay? Daddy's home. Excellent. Thank you very much, John Taylor, for that support as always. Let's go up next to Mr. Kane, who says Mark Briscoe and Roosh tore it up. Solid match. Someone gave that gum Mark was chewing and place it on the Seattle gum wall. Save that gum. Uh, what a great main event, a unique matchup between Sword of and Switchblade, an even more unique sequence of innovative moves and technical counters. Along with Moncton Lethal, that's the level of physicality I love to see from the Continental Classic and AEW in general. MJF has that pimp walk down. The cane, the bling, probably has a heck of a right hand with that diamond ring. Tremendous. What's more tremendous was his promo. Max put over Samoa Joe so damn well. That's how you do it. Don't cut down your opponent. Build them up so that it means something. It felt so good to see Top Flight back almost nostalgic of early AEW high octane offense. The closing minutes were fantastic. Christian and Copeland both brought some intensity, but more importantly, expertise into that ring with their buildup towards Montreal. Looking forward to it next week okay wolfman handsome how the hell does Dante Martin make it
1: back from snapping his ankle in half before Mark Quinn a private party makes it back from his injury feels like Quinn's been gone a long time how about the devil is revealed to be Tony Khan channeling how no I don't want to entertain this at all um yeah Mark Quinn's been out actually exactly uh, a year um listen all injuries are different and some are very look look at Thunder Rosa for all the criticism she received she's been out like over a year at this point with her back injury it's like Mm -hmm. dude Injuries suck, and they can be, you know, varying levels of, of severity. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's too many people that are just, uh, you know, not jonesing to, to be back from an injury. A year for somebody in in that age bracket has got to be e- exceptionally frustrating.
0: Let's go to Cody from Maine. What will AEW's response to Robbie be? Was a commonly asked question over the last two days. The answer was what was – was what most probably expected a show with some really good wrestling story progression and an all around more focused feel. And I thought it translated. Well, this was a really good show. The only complaint I have is with Wardlow where his appearance tonight was more of a don't forget about him squash match as opposed to anything substantial, which is fine unless it's for a guy who we've seen in a million squash matches. I'm looking forward to next week. I presume we'll see the uncrowned mother of the patriarchy cost Adam Copeland his match next week. As obviously the feud with Chris with Christian cage has a bit longer to go
1: yeah that's right maybe we will get Shayna next week you uh, know mm-hmm. in montreal brian in new jersey a quality wrestling show i thought the continental classic matches this week were a big step up from the matches last week swerve is on a next on the next level these weeks i enjoyed the copeland christian segment but on tbs they forgot to censor the f-bomb not the first time this has happened following the scene with rick ross and keith lee last year Great night with Dante Martin. Only real in-ring blemish to me was the finish to Julia Hart and Amy Sakura, Tony Storm and Mariah May leaving bigger impressions outside of the ring. The sooner they unmasked the Devil Army, the better. No need for prolonged, recycled, masked goon attacks. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Masked goon attacks. (laughs) You're right, Brian. We can definitely uh, retire those from the the wrestling
0: tropes, but there you have it. So
1: it seems overall like a well-received dynamite, but not one that was flawless either.
0: Yeah, with the big flaw being MJF and the devil storyline. Yes, and concerns about Tony Khan being the devil. So Mm -hmm. that's my takeaway from
1: the people out there. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight for Rewind to Dynamite. Again, we're back on Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com. All patrons will have access to our rundown of ECW December to Dismember. We have got notes on the show. We have got comments from Paul Heyman before and after December to Dismember and quite the news pack. Including one item that I mean, blew my mind that this was there. Just one sentence, but it was amazing. So we will be uh, revisiting December of 2006. Waiting is off to watch um, a dreadful show. I mean, by the end of it, you're going to be just, this was the best dynamite of the year after you watch <laughs> December to December. So there you have it. Uh, Friday night, we're back live. Rewind to SmackDown. Um, a programming note, post pro res is going to be delayed until next Friday. So WH Park, Karen Peterson, they will be hitting, uh, hitting you with their latest show Friday, December the 8th. Um, and then we've got collision course this coming Saturday on the cafe with Kate and John Sino and uh, all of that great stuff as well. So go uh, check out all the latest post wrestling. And thank you to everybody that has uh, tweeted us their images from a uh, spotify with their annual rap i mean uh, a great mm-hmm. marketing gimmick especially when we are the benefactors of your your listening pleasure and anyone who spends any time listening to us we obviously uh, thank you very much for spending so many time listening to us talk about pro wrestling mma and raccoons
0: yeah um send john your raccoon repellent i uh, suggestions and tips
1: yes if you've got any better options than than fox piss i'm all ears so with that said Goodbye, good night, and we will speak with you on Thursday.